0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Beautifully handled. Uh, What an appropriate tribute. And you know what? Tonight, by extension, one of the lessons that we learned from back then of those heroes was what? At the time, they were told, you'll be fine. You do the work down there, it's gonna be fine. The air quality's fine. And all these years later, we're still learning about the battles that were fought and lost in those days in the immediate aftermath. The information matters. People like those first responders, they deserve to know what the realities are in the world around them, and here we are once again, dealing with the fear of the unknown. But that was a beautiful way as a tribute to a hero. Thank you, Anderson. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Prime Time. And again, let's learn the lesson. Let's start tracking down some big questions surrounding what we do and don't know about how the coronavirus is being handled here, or mishandled. When Trump promises we've got it covered, That's good to hear. And it makes it disturbing to hear news of a whistleblower warning that we don't have it covered, that there are failures to protect our own employees. Now we have a question. Is there a potential link to that whistleblower claim and the first confirmed case in California? And another question in California, why are there more than 8,000 people in that state being monitored? Why don't they know whether or not they have this virus or not? Why are so many others across this country not being tested? The virus is not that scary. It's the unknown. So what do you say? Let's get after it. All right. Let's bring in Dr. Gupta, Sanjay. It's always good to have you. We teamed up to try to get to the bottom of some of these questions because the unknown spreads panic faster than any virus uh, can. Um, And we have questions about the president's plan to deal with this. CNN has not independently reviewed this whistleblower complaint. But here is the part that's interesting to me. I want to see if you agree with this. Mm. So Solano County, California. It's not 5,000 people, but it's not 5 million. It's about 400,000 people in Solano County, California. Some of them are dispatched as healthcare workers to bases uh, in the country to deal with people that were repatriated from uh, other parts of the world who might have the virus. Now we hear about the first community-based, the 15th case in California. A woman, also in Solano County, she has no connection to the work to the base, or anyone who was repatriated. But isn't that what community contact okay. is about? The workers. Some of them are from Solano County. Is that a potential
2: link here to look at? Th- that, that is a potential link to look at. And it's to your point, Chris, uh, we, we don't know. Uh, the reason this is so significant, uh, as, as people may have sort of realized by now, is that up until this point, up until this patient, this 15th patient, everyone you could sort of account for, as you made the point, Chris, that either because of travel or because of known contact with someone who's infected, now someone is walking around, hasn't been to one of these areas, hasn't come in contact with anybody who's known to be infected, gets the infection. That basically means at some point, the virus sort of got out into the community. It means most likely that in addition to this 15th patient, there, that patient got it from someone else. And that someone else may not have any symptoms or minimal symptoms, never gets tested. That's sort of what it means now that this thing is in the community. That's a significant That's a significant thing. But we don't know. To, to your question, it's close to that Air Force base. Could it have been one of these workers? Could it have been a family member right. of one of these workers? Um, they're going to they're going to they're they're good at this part of things chris from a contact tracing standpoint you go back you look at this person's life and you try and piece together their life over several days to figure out who were all the people they came in contact with and usually you're trying to figure out who they may have infected in this case they're all trying to they're also trying to figure out who may have infected that person so it's a real sort of medical who done it at this point
1: Now, here's the part that shouldn't be a mystery, that is. And this is why I asked Sanjay to help out uh, this morning. I start getting phone calls just like you do of people saying we can't test. Uh, They're not letting us test. The test doesn't work. We have to delay. And then Newsom comes out in California and says we're monitoring 8,400 people. There's no reason to monitor anybody. You test. You see if you have influenza A or whatever they call it, coronavirus or not. That's not happening here. What do we know about why people aren't being tested in the richest country in the world?
2: Let me, let me, I have, there's a couple of thoughts, and then I've done some digging today, Chris, after we talked about it this morning. But let me just give you a little bit of context, because I think this is important. In, in South Korea, uh, they're doing about 5,000 tests a day, mm. okay? A day. Uh, in the several weeks uh, that we've been testing in this country, we've probably done about 1,000 tests total. So there's a huge disparity, I think, to your point. And surveillance is, pro- is one of the primary pillars of public health. You've got to know what you're dealing with in order to deal with it. And so the, the testing becomes really important. Now, to be fair, sometimes people who don't have symptoms, even if they are carrying the virus, are less likely to come back positive why because the symptom the, the you get symptoms as the viral load in your body increases that's what makes you sick right. but also makes it more likely for you to have a positive test so you know do you get false negative tests if you're testing too often that's true but i think a case can be made that we were not testing enough uh, you know there were people who were uh, very concerned they may not have been in china but they may have been in other places like korea or italy places where we know the virus has been spreading they get sick and not only uh, were they not getting tested, they were asking to get tested and they were told they couldn't get tested. So uh, that, 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 that is a problem that I think now uh, people at the highest levels of our public health system are, are trying to address. What is the good
1: reason that you say, sorry, I know that you're presenting mm. in a way that it might be and I know you want to be tested, but you can't?
2: Well, that, that's, a, that's a good question. I will tell you that um, there were some problems with the tests initially, as you will remember, Chris. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the goal was we want to get these tests out to all POC locations, point-of-care locations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they found that some of these tests ended up being flawed. Uh, the control didn't work. They couldn't be confident in the testing, and I don't know which led which. Was it because the te- some of the testing were flawed? They sort of dialed it back and said, you know what? We don't need to test all these right. people after all. Or was it more, hey, look, we want to, to just make sure that it, we're not going to run into a situation of a lot of false negatives, You know, things that because people are healthy or, or not having much in the way of symptoms, they come back negative and that gives a false sense of comfort. I don't know. But I can tell you this, that that's not the way it's been done in many other countries around the world. Most other countries around the world have erred on the side of more testing. We seem to have erred so far on the side of less testing. That may change now, Chris, in part because, you know, people are talking about it like us, but also this 15th patient now evidence that this thing is in the community and we've got to start start to broaden the, the the approach here in terms of who we're looking at, because we clearly that one would have been missed otherwise. Right. Who else is out there? How do we find those people?
1: I mean, it just doesn't make okay, I mean, you know, you're the doctor, uh, but it, I keep talking to clinicians and they say it doesn't make sense to not test because what's scary is the unknown. The boogeyman is the how bad can it be? Uh, someone like Newsom would rather say. I have 8400 confirmed cases. That's right. And every week, say how many are going back home. And it starts to give you comfort that, okay, this is just like the flu. You get sick. Most of us make it through. If you're old, infirm, compromised, maybe not. What did you learn when you started calling around about how states are trying to adapt to this and what they're finding out from the federal level?
2: I heard a couple of interesting things. First of all, I think uh, this wasn't a uniform decision. I don't think everybody was on board with uh, the criteria for who should get tested in the first place. The criteria were pretty stringent. Mm. To be a person of interest, you had to have traveled to one of these places. You had to uh, or have had contact with someone with a known infection in other countries. It it led, led more discretion to the to the healthcare providers saying, okay, this person has a pneumonia or some sort of problem. There's no clear cut reason. We're going to test for coronavirus because we think that coronavirus is circulating. Up until today, frankly, that sort of discretion wasn't given to doctors. I I don't think everyone was on board with that. I heard from very high levels that even early on, there was a push to sort of broaden out the testing. who was pushing which direction and who was pushing the other direction. I don't exactly know who and and, and why they were doing that, but it wasn't a uniform sort of approach to this. The second thing I think, you know, again, these flawed tests, I think were a a real problem, Uh, you know, uh, and on one hand, the United States developed a a test at the CDC very quickly. uh, And that was a great thing because that test was important to identify these patients coming out of China, But after that, after trying to distribute these to to clinics around the country, I think things fell apart a little bit over there. And that really hurt some of our initial surveillance.
1: Well, look, I mean, you know, it led to Ron Klain, who obviously was working on the Ebola side for Obama, say anybody who says they know how many cases they have isn't telling you the truth because they're not testing enough to know. And what happens is now the states are starting to push back and say, we can test. You know, the sophisticated states, California, New York, I mean, many states all over the country have the capability to do this. They're being told, no, that's, that's- the next piece in the puzzle. Sanjay, thank you for burning you calories it. today, making phone calls and helping us understand this a little bit better. It's the we'll fear of the it. unknown uh, that will create panic that we do not need. Appreciate it, brother. So it. California, 8,400 cases monitored They have to meet these weird federal criteria for being able to test when they could do it themselves. Why? So we check here in New York State, right? Not 8,400 cases or anything, but they're getting reports of people who are giving the symptoms. They don't meet the criteria. So we get the commissioner from New York to come in, tell us what's happening here, what makes sense and what doesn't, just in terms of understanding the problem. Next. Next. New York State, other side of the country from California. First, no confirmed cases. Obviously, though, the risks here are great. Tens of millions of tourists every year, 20 million people live in the state. And of course, it's the Global Financial Center. So then we start hearing reports from different hospitals, different sources. People are coming in. Could be influenza. Maybe it's not. They say they want to be tested for coronavirus and they keep being told no. Why? Dr. Howard Zucker is the New York State Health Commissioner. He has the answers. Doctor, thank you for joining us. Thank you us. for joining So when we look at California, first confirmed case, case number 15 from the community, five days they wait to test. The governor comes out and says, we're monitoring 8,000 plus cases. He should know what he has on his hand. As you know, the fear for the public is what? What they don't know.
3: Why wait so long? Why can't they test? Well, I think part of it is there is a challenge that the Uh, Federal government has these tests coming into one place, which is the Centers for Disease Control. We have in New York a lab, the Wadsworth Center Lab, world-renowned lab, that has looked at the protocols and, based on the CDC protocols, have developed a test that we are ready to move forward with as soon as the FDA approves it. We'll start testing tomorrow. I'm sure the same is
1: true in California. I
3: suspect so. But you can't. I can't. No. I need the FDA
1: approval. So you have all these people coming in. The panic is in the unknown. You know this. Well, it's the worried well. Right. At the worried well. Very nicely said. You can test, but the federal government says no. Why?
3: Well, well, right now they feel that they want to run the test at the CDC, and it's a matter of, uh, of getting this through and, and to be able to get our test uh, approved, as well as probably other state labs that are of uh, caliber like our lab. So ordinarily,
1: that would be fine. You just be patient. But this is not a time for patience, because time is the enemy. And you we were talking earlier and you said, well, they're also overwhelmed at the CDC. You know, how can they be overwhelmed when it hasn't even hit us yet?
3: Well, this is why it's really important to prepare for what could happen. And you don't want to play catch up on this. So well, we are we, playing catch up it seems like. Right. Well, we this is why in New York we have moved forward the governor governor Cuomo has put forth the $40 million appropriation to the budget uh, to provide the ability to have diagnostic testing and uh, uh, supplies that are needed. And so we are working on that, and we would like to get the approval from the federal government so that we could help those who are concerned and be able to take some of the burdens off of the federal government, not only for the state of New York, but also for some of the neighboring states that may not have the same kind of lab. And I would add one more thing, which is that they have changed the criteria recently. So it is uh, today, they've changed the criteria. So there will be more tests that will need to be done. So it would be better to have states like New York do the test.
1: Now, they're getting negative pushback. You know, people like Sanjay talking to people like me. It's getting out there that this criteria was too constrained. The original criteria was basically if you didn't come from this one area of China or you weren't in contact with someone who did, you don't get tested. Uh, And that is to keep it tight so that you can be efficient. But it doesn't make sense anymore,
3: right? Well, it's an evolving process, and we need to change accordingly. And so we should be testing whoever based on a clinical exam, a clinical assessment, needs to be tested. And I, I think that that's the next step.
1: Now, my suspicion is that I, I want you to give me a good reason on, for policy for it to be this way, because the suspicion to me is, this is a great way to keep the numbers down, uh, is that you don't get to test. I'll do all the testing, and I'll control what the number flow is, and that's all we'll know. And it may be slow in getting out, but at least there aren't numbers popping up all over the place. Well, is I- there a
3: better reason? Well, I think that in a situation of this nature, when it comes to public health, all of those kind of issues should be put aside because we're dealing with the public's safety, the public's health. And whatever needs to be done to move this, this forward, to make sure people are getting the test that they need, should be done. And that should uh, eclipse any concerns that we have.
1: But you don't, do you have any concern that your test is not as good as their test? I think our test is better. Well, I and mean, I'm sure California would feel the same way. But let's be clear, this isn't a sophisticated thing to find, right? You can right. test for this the way you do with influenza, different strains, and figure out what it
3: is. Right. Well, once we had the protocol and our team at the Wadsworth Center came up with, with the uh, test, we were able to move forward. And the, the, the Wadsworth Center is phenomenal. That was actually the center. Our lab was right. the one that came up with the vitamin E acetate right. in the THC. Uh, right. Well, that's a whole other story, story that we yes.
1: still have to figure yes. out is the dangers of vaping and what we have to worry about and not. Uh, let's end on the right note. I'm worried about the flow of information because I fear the unknown. Uh, And I think that that's what spreads panic and we don't need that. More testing, I think, is going to give more confidence to the American people. What should also give confidence is this isn't the boogeyman. Um, If you get sick from this, you're not automatically going to die. We may have a falsely exaggerated sense of how lethal it is. And there are plenty you could do to not get it.
3: So help us through that. So I think that we need to remove some of the anxiety that everyone has about this. And the way to do that is to uh, prevent problems. And the way to prevent a problem is to use good public health practice. Wash your hands, uh, sneeze into your sleeve. Uh, also sounds stay- basic,
1: right. but it really works well with viruses.
3: It does. Stay home, and, and they're boring kind of concepts, but they work, and they prevent respiratory spread. The second is to prepare for a problem. And that's what we're doing. We are preparing. Uh, dust off those plans. Uh, Uh, look at the strategies, and then to partner, to partner with hospitals, with nursing homes, with schools, and to be ready for a problem. And I think together, if we do all of that together, and we work as a community, we actually could overcome any virus that nature sends our way, and I think we'll be successful. How long,
1: you think, until you're able to start testing people that you have
3: here? Well, we have been calling the, uh, I wrote to the FDA the other day, and I hope uh, as soon as possible, and I hope by the beginning of next week. Because every day there are more and more people that are coming in that you have to make a judgment about it right now. You can't. Right. And it is an evolving process. But I think it's important to keep this in perspective. Mm. A lot of people are getting very nervous about this. And, and and I understand if you don't know something, you would get. That's nervous, right. right. And so you have to remember that even though everyone speaks about SARS and but SARS and 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 COVID-19, they're in the same family. They, right. they are coronaviruses. But every, you know, if two people in the family, one kid has blue eyes and one child has brown eyes, same family, but it just means that, that they may be a little bit different. And right. so I think that we need to keep this in perspective.
1: And in the case of my family, the one with the brown eyes is far inferior to the one with blue eyes. So it's a different family them. by family. <laughs> Dr. Sucker, thank <laughs> you very much. Let us know. How the information process goes, so we can make sure that people have no reason to panic. Right. We, we will, we will do that, Doctor. Thank, thank you. Thank you. All right. The president's self-proclaimed best economy ever is having a very bad week. Why? Well, coronavirus fears is a big part of this, right? The president takes credit for the gains. Now he's blaming anything that goes wrong on everybody else. We have a very valuable guest next with some perspective on our economy. A celebrated former labor secretary. We'll be right back. <laughs> Trump wants you to think the Democrats are crashing the markets to hurt him. That is BS, and he knows it. This is about traders and whether they have confidence in him and his planning and the global implications, namely, U.S. companies, a lot of them, names you know like Nike, Coke, GM, Apple, Amazon, and many more, they're pulling back on their operations. They're putting out reports they're not going to make as much money because of the expected impact to supply chains. This isn't about just what may or may not happen in this country. Look where it's happening around the world. All right. The second largest economy is potentially shut off. That sends fear to traders in the markets. Now, you have questions about the rest of Southeast Asia, the Middle East, Europe. So let's bring in someone who knows the macroeconomic, the world implications on the larger scale of the economy, Robert Reich. He was the Labor Secretary under President Clinton. It's good to see you, sir, as always. Now, uh, let's deal with what we know this isn't about. Uh, We're looking at your book here, The System, Who Rigged It, How We Fix It by You. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, Now, first, the president said, well, you know, the traitors, they don't like seeing the Democrats on stage bashing the economy and coronavirus. The markets crashed hours before the debate. This is not about a political hit. What is it about?
4: Uh, Well, it it shouldn't be thought of as a political issue. This is not a partisan issue. This is about supply and demand and fear of the future. And some fears, Chris, are perfectly rational. I mean, uh, some fears are not rational. Right here, there's no reason to panic. I mean, the stock market, for example, is not the economy. The stock market is a bunch of people who are investing based on hopes and fears. And sometimes those hopes and fears are exaggerated. Uh, Sometimes it's kind of a roadrunner cartoon. You know, suddenly you look down and there's nothing there. Uh, but sometimes uh, it, is, uh, it is quite different. And we can't assume that just because the bottom is falling out of the stock market that the entire economy of the United States is also right. bottoming out. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is the consumer confidence. That is, how average people feel about the future in terms of their jobs, their wages, uh, their benefits, uh, what they're going to be doing. That plays a huge role in the economy uh, because consumer purchasing is about uh, almost 70% of the total economy in the United States. And if people get worried about the future and they pull in their horns and they stop spending, that could be a self-fulfilling prophecy.
1: Right, so like right now on the bottom of the screen, it says coronavirus fears drive Dow to worst point drop ever. Well, the reason it's the worst point drop is it's never been this high before. And as you well know, and the audience should understand, the people who make their money on Wall Street have been saying there was gonna be a correction for some time uh and it was just about when and it's as likely as anything that this gave them a reason to sell off.
4: Isn't that part of the mix? Uh, Yeah, that is definitely part of it. Now, the worst case scenario is that because of supply chain disruptions and because consumers really are worried and they are not, they're worried to the extent not just pulling in their horns and worried about their future paychecks, but they're also worried about contagion. You know, they stop going to the movies, they stop going out to dinner, they stop uh, going, they cancel travel plans. I mean, there could be, down the road, if this continues at the rate it's been, uh, there could be a lot of economic problems uh, that are created simply because of the behavioral changes mm-hmm. uh, that come about because of this fear. Uh, now I'm not going to be predicting anything, but I, I think it's realistic to say this could be it could be uh, the biggest threat to the global economy since the great uh, recession, since the great crash of 2008. Why? I hope it's not. I hope it's not. But I it but but given that China, the second biggest economy in the world, uh shows signs of contracting or actually closing down given that Europe uh is facing a great deal of risk right While Bob now because there're no put borders. up the map of the countries that are involved. Keep going, Bob. Uh uh well, you know, you have a you have Europe with 300 million people, that's our second largest trading partner. Uh Europe is infected i mean to some extent it's not it's not massive but it is moving in a disturbing direction china is obviously a huge problem mm-hmm. and china is where not only we have a supply chains a lot of the supplies and Products that find their way into American products actually start or are assembled in China. Right. South Korea is facing a big problem. South Korea is a major, major economy in the world right now. So some and contraindicative the major data.
1: Everything you're saying has been borne out by what we've been seeing. Apple then came out today and said, oh, looks like China's getting this under control. Uh, we're feeling a little bit better about things. Maybe they're trying to fuel optimism. Maybe that's just their experience. Uh, the contrapoint to that is uh, we just got a report here that the U.S. has its first coronavirus related drug shortage. The drug has nothing to do with coronavirus, but uh, someone alerted the FDA, hey, because of coronavirus, our supply chain is disrupted. We're going to run short on a drug that is uh, important in the U.S. market. These are the kinds of things that traders find out about, Wall Street types find out about, and it affects their enthusiasm for different stocks. I mean, that's what this is about. It's not a political hit job.
4: Oh, it's absolutely not a political. I mean, nothing I've said uh, suggests a political hit job. I mean, this is uh, this is uh, kind of reasonable worries. This is not panic. And there's a difference between reasonable worry and panic. Mm. Uh, and again, uh, you can't tell the future of the economy. Nobody knows the future of the economy. The stock market is one indicator. Now, the Federal Reserve is likely to try to reduce interest rates. Uh, or will reduce short-term interest rates uh, in an effort to stimulate demand. If in fact consumers get very nervous and stop spending as much and the economy starts sinking, the Federal Reserve Board uh is obviously enormously powerful but it can't do much if people start worrying about the contagion issue right. and they stop going to places and the entire tourist industry the travel industry uh restaurants hotels everything else starts uh basically uh being affected by this that right. the fed has nothing to do with that right. uh, so- but that's down we, we, we there's no reason to worry about that the other factor chris is exports we do depend on export markets. If those export markets start drying up because of fears or because a lot of people just simply don't any longer have the wherewithal to buy products from the United States, that's going to also affect our American economy. It's an interrelated economy. We, We are part of the world. You can't take the American economy out of the rest of the world, even though Donald Trump occasionally sounds like he wants to. Well,
1: look, the coronavirus is a reminder that we are all in this together. And what happens in one part of the world is going to have reverberations everywhere else. We'll watch it uh, and we'll keep coming back to you to understand what's going to happen and why it's happening in that moment. Thank you very much, sir. Good luck
4: with the book. Thanks, Chris.
1: All right. Now, look, this is a political test moment. Make no mistake about that. In fact, in most election cycles, uh, you have something come out. They used to call them, uh, you know, October or November surprises and you'd have to deal with it. Um, Bush with Katrina, Obama with Ebola. Uh, Will Trump pass this test? Is this that test? This is the time that you go to the men and women with the bigger minds. And we are lucky to have one tonight. Tom Friedman is going to help us understand what this situation means. And he has a very unique, arguably controversial take on what the Democrats should do to win in 2020. He joins us next. notice I didn't have any of the officials that are handling this situation for our government on tonight? That's not a coincidence. In fact, sources tell CNN that government health officials now have to clear any public statements on coronavirus with Vice President Pence's office first. The move comes, of course, in the face of criticism about how the administration has handled its response to the outbreak in no small part, putting Pence anywhere near something having to do with science. Is it warranted? Let's put it to Tom Friedman. He's covered the White House and is an expert in global affairs. He's also the author of Thank You for Being Late. Good to see you, sir. Good to be with you, Chris. Thanks for having me. Uh, do you see this situation as one of the test moments that can define an election?
5: There's no question, Chris. Um, this, is a, this is a global crisis um, that uh, we still have been come to see the full magnitude of it. And it could be unlike any crisis really in our lifetime outside of a, a, a world war in that the entire world um, gets seized up uh, because of the spread of this virus. And there's only one way it can be managed, uh, in my view, Chris. One is with American leadership. You know, I always felt that um, President Obama's greatest foreign policy success was the way he led the, um, the curbing of the Ebola virus. And the reason he got so little credit for it was because it worked. Right. Um, and what you see in these moments, Chris, is that we are the indispensable nation. There is no one other than America that can pull together a kind of global response. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate that this administration is hobbled by by a past, one of, uh, of violating truth and trust so many times mm-hmm. and abusing our allies so many times. But I don't think, um, you know, uh, it, it, it's not too late to start. And I think um, it's the time for America to really step forward because there is no alternative. When you face a kind of global pandemic like this, uh, there's no alternative to American leadership.
1: So. In a moment like this, you would think those who want power uh, would seize on it and speak with one voice and make this uh, a function of their campaign. But on the Democrat side of the ball, uh, they are all over the place. Tom, you have arguably the party under siege from two opposite polls. You have Bernie Sanders, who many would say isn't even really a Democrat uh, in his politics. He is surging. He is taking over that party, not unlike what we saw in 2016 with President Trump. And then on the other side, you have someone who's also not a Democrat in Bloomberg who is spending his way into contention. How do you see their fate at this point?
5: Well, you know, I, um, uh, I've been a supporter of, of Mayor Bloomberg. I've not been a supporter of Bernie Sanders, but what I'm really a supporter of, Chris Moore, is a is a unified front uh, to take on Donald Trump, because I believe this is a four alarm fire. I believe that what the country really wants now, if there's if there's an overriding trend in the country, Chris, let's take the extremes out. I think the overriding mood in the country is they want someone to pull us together Uh, because we have big, hard work to to do. And now in the face of this coronavirus, we have really big, hard work to do and big, hard things can only be done Together, And that's why I wrote a column calling for basically a a Democrat-led government of national unity. And uh, I don't know who's going to emerge on the Democratic side, but whoever it is, I hope they will appoint a team of rivals that will represent all wings of the Democratic Party and moderate Republicans and independents. I'd love to see Mitt Romney in this cabinet. I'd like to see an authentic outspoken American military hero like Admiral McRaven, who had led our special forces and took down bin Laden uh, in this, in this, in this uh, kind of government. We need a national unity government. People are not searching for Medicare for all right now. They are searching for all for one and one for all. And I think the, the Democrat who can emerge with that message is the one that I hope will win. But I know that Democrat would be effective, would be able to govern effectively and not just win?
1: Well, look, I love the ideas. One of the reasons I begged Tom to come on tonight is I love the idea of testing this notion of a team of rivals, of running as an entire slate. Not least of all, because I suggested it a couple of months ago, but nobody cared. But when Tom Friedman <laughs> says it, uh, they will care. But, I, but first, we've got to look at why it's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, Tom, the analysis, the premise could be completely off. The country is not looking For unity. In fact, it is looking for it to be recognized as a function of divisions. And that is the reason the president has been successful, is that those who are angry and saying, I don't want to listen to the Cognoscenti. I don't want to listen to Tom Friedman's. My country's being stolen. I'm being left behind. Uh, this country has old values that have been forgotten. They're angry. They believe he hears them. Bernie Sanders has a formidable base, bigger than anybody else in the Democratic Party, as that I've seen, where they say the same thing. Not anymore. We've got a guy who's mad as hell for us now.
5: Who's asking for unity? Well, let's remember the guy, um, uh, President Trump, who, who ran that message actually lost the popular vote. So if we're just talking about numbers, let's start there. Secondly, Bernie Sanders probably has somewhere between 30, 35 percent of the Democratic side of the maybe aisle. More. That, maybe more. Maybe we'll know a lot more we'll after see. Tuesday. Yeah, he may walk you. into convention time with 40 plus he might. Um, that's still not even a majority of the Democratic Party. Um, so what do you do, if-
1: Tom? First of all, let's forget about what well, we want. We can pick it up after the break. But Bloomberg and Bernie, they may both start with a B, uh, but they are complete anathema to one of you. Know, Bernie Sanders guy couldn't say fast enough. I don't want his money. We don't want anything to do with him. You know, you can have ideological differences within a party. It happens all the time, especially with the Democrats, more so than Republicans, but not like this. You've never had a democratic socialist with the ultimate capitalist saying, we'll find a way to bring it together. You think it's even possible?
5: Well, to that, I say then welcome to four more years of Donald Trump, uh, a Trump who will control the House, the Senate, the Supreme Court and the White House. Um, And uh, that to me is a pull the emergency lever.
1: Now, let's uh, question that before we go to break. If Bernie Sanders is good enough to win for president, why is it such a disaster for every other race in play?
5: I don't understand that. So
1: if he's good enough to win for president, if that were to have Democrats argue, yes, but he could still make us not win the Senate. Why?
5: Well, I think Bernie Sanders um, believes things that um, a lot of Americans do not believe. Um, one is this notion of democratic socialism. Another is a $50 trillion spending program. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are things that a lot of Americans simply do not accept. And um, you know, even if he somehow could could win the presidency, Chris, how is he possibly going to govern, okay, when, you, when, when the majority of Democrats aren't with you, let alone the opposition?
1: So, here's the good news. I know that it can be sometimes frustrating to hear problems articulated, even when it's done so as eloquently as Tom does. Here's why I needed him tonight. He wrote a piece about what he sees as a fix, that is something we have never seen before. But the Democratic situation right now may call for it more than ever before. What that is, how it would look next. Go with the we, not the me. That is the theory that Tom Friedman has. He wrote an op-ed that whoever becomes the Democratic nominee needs to build a unity ticket made up of moderate and progressive Democrats. Here's a key quote. Neither can defeat the other. Neither can win without the other. Neither can govern without the other. If they don't join together, if the Democrats opt for a circular firing squad, you can kiss the America you grew up in goodbye. Tom Friedman, thank you for staying with us. Uh, The question becomes, who is at the top of the ticket?
5: You know, Chris, we're going to find out, I think, in the next, uh, obviously, two weeks probably, probably. Uh, we'll see if, if uh, South Carolina, if Joe Biden wins there, if that propels him, re-energizes him into Super Tuesday. We'll see if Mike Bloomberg's strategy um, in investing in all the Super Tuesday states and not running in the earlier primaries propels him. And we'll see if Bernie can keep um, running the table in these in these states and at least build up a plurality of delegates going into the convention., um, uh, he probably won't have enough to win on a first vote. Um, they'll uh, they'll probably have to be a follow-up. and, uh, uh, I do believe we're going to see the most unusual Democratic ele- uh, convention that we've seen. And that's in a why long this time.
1: idea of the super friends might happen, where yeah. uh, if, you know, somebody comes together and yeah, I, I think it's hard to depict with Bernie. I have to be honest with you, because he's uncompromising in his ideals. I do. So too, the yeah. idea of having all these other people around him who yeah. don't agree with going for it with Medicare for all and everything he wants to do with the tax structure. But the idea of, hey, look, you know all these people and all of you like them to differing degrees. We're going to put them all together and you'll know what you're getting in a way that you never have before. That concept is good. It's just who's Superman. Well, you know, um, uh,
5: know, we're we're in a really um, evolving moment now, Chris, uh, with this coronavirus.
1: I really hope
5: that in two weeks it's in our rearview mirror and things are back under control. But what if it isn't? What if this is Katrina times 10? And I think if it is, you could see um, uh, the public uh, looking for uh, a leader who has two things that, that are very, very important in this kind of situation. One, uh, experience in managing a crisis, and two, uh, uh, an ability to pull together a coalition and, and, and build trust across both intra-party and outside of the party. And I think that could, that, those uh, demands and requirements could really damage Bernie Sanders, who has not seen as someone who played well um, with others in the Senate. He has one of the worst records of doing that on uh, a seen as a very dogmatic ideologue. I think uh, uh, Biden, um, uh, uh, Bloomberg, uh, Buttigieg, um, uh, Amy Klobuchar, uh, Elizabeth Warren, they all, uh, you know, could this this. They all could be viewed differently, Chris, in two weeks. We could be looking for a very different candidate, especially if this president, you know, I've said from the very beginning, what happens when he has a crisis? What happens when he has a crisis in two ways? You know, um, one is he has violated the two core principles of our democracy, truth and trust, so many times. Now we need him to look into the camera to reassure the country, to reassure the world. And people are saying, well, you, you have lied so many times into that camera. He does have a weird you know?
1: opposite index where 50, 55 percent on the economy, credibility uh, is usually in the 60s in terms of whether they think he's a liar. It's an odd mix.
5: Yeah, and and especially right in now, a, in a health just like crisis, with Iran,
1: we have to yeah. believe him, and it's hard to believe him.
5: Yeah, it's in a health crisis that, that really matters. And he also, Donald Trump has never for one day Acted as president of all the people, he has only been the president of his base, and a day has not gone by where he has dis- has not disparaged people from the other party. He has made no effort to build bridges, and he's alienated so many of our allies. So we're going to need a leader, a very different kind of leader, right now. And I and I would say, you know, the the whole Democratic contest contest could look very different, Chris, in a few weeks. I hope. I hope this thing goes away immediately. I I want a president elected, you know, who can think about the future, not managing a crisis. But we're in the middle of something that is potentially very big. What is the potential
1: chance of this happening where somebody's at the top of the ticket and Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar, probably not Biden, uh, but three or four of the other ones who are in contention all agree to take positions in that person's government?
5: You know, Chris, I get to travel a lot around the country. Um, I I cannot tell you how many people have stopped me just in the last two days. I mean, all over the place, and said two things. One is, I had that same idea, just the way you said, you know, of a national unity government, and do you think there's a chance? People are starved for a leader who will pull us together. I think that is the, the secret underlying mood of the country. I do not buy the bit with the extremes. I think at the center of the country, Americans understand we're being ripped apart. We are becoming like Sunnis and Shiites in Syria today. Mm. And they are absolutely appalled by it and they are frightened by it and they are starved for a leader who will pull us together and out of many make one again.
1: Tom Friedman, thank you for highlighting the problem that is obvious and a solution that'll make a lot of people think. Appreciate it, my friend. Thanks, Chris. All right, so why is the president Moving off the MAGA train in his new outreach to a critical voting block. Have you heard the new slogan that's out? What a bolo. Next. BOLO, that means be on the lookout. The Trump campaign is set to open 15 so-called Black Voices for Trump Community Centers across swing states over the next few weeks. It's part of a new effort to reach black voters, and the campaign is trying to do it with a single word, woke. They're rolling out hats, hoodies, and other merch with the term. His team is calling it a woke concept. Now, it raises a couple questions. One, does he know what that means? And Two, laying claim to a word that he proves on a daily basis he really does know nothing about. And in fact, they make fun of people for being woke. How will it play? Be on the lookout. CNN Tonight with D. Lemon, the man who is known for his wokeness, starts
0: right now.